Typically, I'd begin Advent sermons, type sermons. Occasionally, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, I do sort of a post-Thanksgiving message, but typically Advent sermons for the Advent season. But we got behind in our study of First Peter because it is so rich. But the connection between Jesus' sufferings, and that's why he came, to suffer and to die for us. And um, in Advent, the, the sufferings that we read about, especially in First Peter and, and his Advent, uh, are, are clearly uh, there. So this morning we're going to return to First Peter. And in addition to, if you were here last week, I, I told you that, that this is going to be a special Sunday. In addition to the fact that we are in First Peter, our text today calls us uh, to a very significant time of reflection and even repentance. And we're going to do that at the end of the service. Let me say, we talked a couple of weeks ago about baptism. A couple of you have spoken with me. We need to do that. I mean, if, if we really believe this text about First uh, uh, Peter about the importance of baptism and the entire New Testament about the connection between our salvation and baptism, not that baptism saves us in any way. And even as Peter said that baptism now saves you, he went on to say not the washing of the of filth away or dirt away of the body, but the clean conscience, what it signifies in the New Testament. There was just absolutely no question that anyone who trusted Christ would be baptized. And almost immediately, if you have not been baptized and you can be here next week, let's do it next week. You want to talk about Let's talk about it. We need to get it. We need to do that. It's important. Um, this this book, First Peter, has called us to many important decisions. And this morning is going to be um, another one of those times. You know, it's amazing to me. How different people are from one another. I mean, there are many ways we're the same, but many things that we share in common. But there are so many differences in us. And technology and affluence have allowed businesses to cater to all of our different preferences. Everything from from washer and dryer models uh, all the way to ice cream flavors. I can remember... As many of you can, since, you know, our students are gone and so many of our um, congregation today are of the more mature variety. I can re- I know that you can remember with me when you went to an ice cream shop. Actually, you didn't go to an ice cream shop. You just went to the drugstore and you got chocolate, vanilla or strawberry. And if they were really uptown, you, you were able to get butter pecan. But that was about it. That was it. Four four flavors. It was pretty much all that you would get. And then they started introducing lemon, sherbet, you know, and that kind of thing. But but, but you just didn't have many choices. And now some of you, when you walk into sunny skies, go into a state of apoplexy because there are so many choices there. And, you know, even the stuff that's up front is not all there is. They got listed all the stuff they got in the back that they can go back there and, and dish up for you. You know, there are some choices, though, some choices and emotions seem to be universal. I think most of us would choose love over bitterness and strife. Now, I recognize that there are some uh, misanthropes who, you know, would only want love to be uh, a part of the mix when it's at their particular preference. And, and you have to wonder if, if somebody loves only according to his or, own, her, his or her own preferences, if that really is love. But, uh, but most of us would choose love over bitterness and strife, at least peacefulness, even if it's not honest to goodness love. 
In a similar vein, I, I don't know too many people that welcome trials into their lives. Now, I recognize that some of you enjoy challenges. I mean, something comes along and you say, hey, I can handle this. I can handle this. In fact, I'm up for it. I'm up for the challenge. But you know, sooner or later, when things just get totally beyond our control, when a challenge doesn't mean anything because I can't do anything about this, it would be all right if I could respond to this, but it is beyond me to handle this. Then life's not a lot of fun. You know, Not many of us welcome those kinds of trials. And to be able to rejoice when trials come our way, well, that's just a bit unnatural. Our text today talks about our response to trials. It also informs us implicitly that difficulties in this life are a result of sin and that judgment for sin is a necessity. And finally, our text will help us understand how God's judgment must begin in the church and then work outward. And that's what we're going to deal with today. God's judgment of sin in our lives. I don't suppose we're any more excited about the reality of God's judgment than we are about life's difficulties. But both have multiple purposes in our lives. And if our response is as it should be, both trials and God's judgment will produce multiple benefits in our lives. And in so doing, God will be glorified. Well, our text this morning is 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. And if you would, please stand as we read God's Word together. And I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Our Father, uh, we are called day in and day out to trust you and to obey. We're called to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. You have the right to do anything you want in our lives because you are our creator. And we are to entrust our souls to you. And we are to obey by doing good and, and obeying your word, which we can only do in the power of the Spirit. We recognize that. But Lord, on this day, may we open our hearts to you and ask that the Holy Spirit search us and know us. You do, Lord, know us. 
intimately. Help us to get a glimpse of what you see when you look at us. And may we confess and repent as you call us to do, individually and corporately. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. Well, Chuck Swindoll said that um, 10% of life is what happens to us. 90% is how we respond. Actually, Peter said it before Chuck Swindoll ever said that. He just didn't use the same words. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Now just think of the several mouthfuls that were said in those few sentences. Before we go any further, just look at the connection between glory and suffering. We've seen it over and over and over in this book of First Peter. And you see it over and over and over in the New Testament. Whenever you see suffering, it's almost always followed by glory. Now, we don't generally make that connection in our lives. We, we think of suffering and moaning and groaning and misery. But in the New Testament, suffering is followed by glory, God's glory. Glory that we share in repeatedly. What do you think God's trying to tell us in this connection? I I mean, I would like to, to say that it means that our attitude has a great deal to do with the impact our trials will ultimately have on us. I, how I respond is going to determine the focus of my life. But that's because I'm so me-centered. The connection is not between suffering and a better life for me now. The connection is first and foremost between my suffering with the right attitude, with the right heart, and God's glory. Now, if I maintain a proper response to the suffering, it benefits me in so many ways. But my first and foremost focus needs to be God's glory. The extent of my desire for God to be glorified in my suffering and my trials is determined by the extent to which I believe in Him. I mean, just stop right there. If I really want God to be glorified in my sufferings, it is first and foremost because I believe in Him. Well, of course I believe. Really? Really, do our lives say to the world, do they say even to ourselves when we look in the mirror, do our lives say, I believe in Him. I really believe that He exists. Furthermore, I believe His Word. And I love Him. And therefore, I want God to be glorified in my suffering. Now, this portion of the letter that we just read this morning, Peter's letter, may seem like just another way that he's stating the reality and benefit of trials in our lives. But it's actually a transition. Um, He is, in a sense, giving a summary of all that has been said before. And and then this, this section begins the ending of this letter. He starts this new section by saying that we should not be surprised, surprised when trial, trials come our way. But we are, aren't we? I mean, we're just, we're stunned when certain things happen. 
it's because we have an enemy. And we're going to see in First Peter 5, 8, when we get to it on the last Sunday of this year, at the end of, um, after the, day, the Sunday after Christmas, we're going to see how Satan wants nothing less than our absolute destruction. And there's so much I would like to say about that. I'll, I would just say this. We're surprised when the trials come at us because they come from places we would have never in a million years expected. Do you think Satan is, is, is wily enough? Do you think he's smart enough to figure out that we'll be surprised by the things that he throws at us? I mean, I hear people say, and, and, and really it's a little bit silly to me, oh, don't speak it out loud. Satan will take advantage of you if you do. Do you not think Satan has enough sense to know what you're thinking? Do you not think he knows your weaknesses and he's able to plant thoughts into your mind and come at you from places you never re realized possible? Speak it to the Lord. God help me. I am in trouble here. I have this particular problem. I have this temptation. Or something has happened and I don't know how to respond to it. Well, he tells us how to respond. He says to rejoice. We'll, we'll talk a lot more about that in a few weeks. But suffice it to say for the moment that trials are a way of life for all people, but especially for Christ followers. Even though we know better, we want to think that our relationship with Christ insulates us from troubles. And that at the very least, if difficulties come our way, we should pray our way out of anything. In reality, the only thing a relationship with Christ guarantees is more trouble. More trouble than those who don't have Him receive. Because Satan hates us and he's coming at us. Whether or not that suffering weakens or strengthens us is entirely up to us. These past few weeks, I've had to struggle with shingles. This past week, I experienced a new pain in my body. It's this pain down in my ankle somewhere around the Achilles tendon. But I, I mean, I don't know that it is. I, I talked with my doctor about it, and he's really a little bit puzzled also. Um, because, I, I mean, I can just be sitting there, and this pain comes upon me. And I, you know, it's the kind of pain, it's really some of the most severe pain I've ever had in my life. And it's like I go, ah! And I just was thinking maybe you'd think the Spirit was really upon me this morning, you know, if it, if it hits me. Wasn't so bad yesterday, but about Thursday, I mean, this was just boom. And, and both of these pains from the shingles and, and from my ankle are, are, are similar. It's like this sharp pain, like a needle pain. And then there's this burn that kind of slowly spreads outward from that, kind of spreads along uh, uh, nerves, if you will. And... That's kind of the way trials are. There's this sharp, unexpected, unanticipated pain. And then this burn just kind of settles in and spreads out from there. And Peter said not to be surprised when fiery trials come upon us. You know, it all comes back to perspective when we deal with these difficulties in our lives. When Peter talks about fiery trials, he's not talking about fire that consumes. And, and that's where we, we get mixed up sometimes. We think about this fire as being intended for this great pain. But he's talking about, rather, a fire that purifies, much like he has spoken of earlier when he talked about how the fire purifies us just like our fiery trials purify us just like fire 
Real fire purifies silver and gold. I mean, these trials and the fire that comes along with them are very much like the pain that I received at the doctor's office a few weeks ago when we began to deal with this pain, this other pain that I have. The purpose of the pain at the doctor's office was to control the virus. It was causing the blisters on my body, which could have led to a great deal more intense pain. And fortunately, I, I think we caught it early so that it's not a severe case. But, the, but, but some pain is very useful in our lives, even though we don't look forward to it. We don't invite it or anticipate it. And that's what trials can do for us. But it's not simply a matter of just taking our medicine. Okay, let the trials hit me and, and respond to it in some stoic kind of a way. We have to choose whether or not we're going to receive these difficulties as coming from God's hand. Recognizing their value to our souls. It is in fact a discipline to rejoice in the face of sufferings. Now, please remember, as I talk about suffering this morning, that Peter was referring primarily in this particular text, although not everywhere when he talks about suffering, about persecution that Christ's followers endure at the hands of those who hate the gospel of Jesus. Do you get some of that? I promise you that if you live for Jesus as you should, you get some of that. If nobody is laughing at you, snickering at you, ostracizing you, because of your love for Jesus and the gospel, then you're really not where you ought to be at this point. But all kinds of suffering can be identified and applied by this scripture or dealt with by this scripture. So the next time your transmission goes out, instead of saying, where are we going to get the money for this thing? Just say, thank you, Lord, for allowing this transmission to go out. I have no idea how we're going to pay for this, but I am excited to see what you're going to do in my life and our lives as a result of this trial. And that can go for anything, for, for physical issues, for, 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 you know, family that comes in for Christmas and they're their usual selves and, you know, they just, it's just miserable. Say, thank you, Lord, thank you that my mother is as she is. Thank you, God. And thank you that you're molding me to make me more like Jesus. You know, I've done that at times. I, I confess, not often. But really, really rejoice when trials come into my life. And God blessed me so much when I did that. So why do I never learn my lesson? I mean, why do I not go back there? I mean, why is it that, that the next trial that comes along, I just, you know, I'm going, oh, me, oh, me. What am I going to do with this? Okay, Lord, help me. But that's not the response at all. We're called, we're called to rejoice and to say, thank you, Father. Thank you. I rejoice in this, this difficulty. Why is it we can't learn our lessons? You know, it's a struggle for most of us to apply the spiritual lessons that we learned 10 years ago or 10 days ago. 
That's why it's a good thing to be here on Sunday morning and hear the same stuff over and over and over. It's why Peter said in his second letter, I am going to remind you of this truth, although you know it and you are already established in it. Even if we know God's truth well, we need to be reminded. And I constantly need to be reminded, rejoice when difficulties come upon you. Now, by the way, about that transmission, I hope that I'm not going to get the opportunity to practice what I preach, which is so often the case in the near future. But, you know, if I do, I'm going to be saying, I'm going to call you up and say, rejoice with me and loan me about $2,000 if you, if you would. You know, when our trials are of a spiritual nature, that is, when we are teased, and ridiculed and passed over for promotion and ostracized, put aside because of our faith, then we can be especially grateful. For not only are we brought into intimate communion with Jesus, who suffered for us, but God's Holy Spirit is with us in an an unusually palpable and powerful way, comforting us and strengthening us to endure the trials that we're called to face. You know, we think of of God's presence and and goodness to us always being available at any time. And and that's true. But His presence and His power are with us at, at, at certain times, and especially so as when we we baptize, as when we come to the Lord's table. Those are very, very special times. We don't need to approach those lightly as, okay, this is something to do to help us remember our relationship with Christ. No, these are times where God's spirit and presence are unusually palpable and powerful in our lives. And it's the same with trials. When we go through trials The Spirit of God is ready, He is close by and ready to strengthen us in ways that we don't normally find in our relationship and walk with Him. Well, when we suffer at the hands of others, it should be because of our faith, not because of sinful behavior. When we suffer for our faith, we must not allow ourselves to feel ashamed. You know, don't you know that the Holy Spirit had Peter write this? Because how often do we not say something for Jesus? Because we don't want to be embarrassed. How many times do we just stay silent when someone needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, but but we we don't want him to laugh at us? We don't want him to say, you really believe that? Come on. What a shame when we keep silent. It's a shame for two reasons. Number one, those who need to hear don't get to hear. And two, we're told in verse 14 that the Holy Spirit rests upon us in a powerful way when we're willing to suffer for Jesus' sake. There's so much of that in this book of 1 Peter. Our identity with Christ in sufferings. We, when we suffer for Him, we identify with the shame that He experienced on the cross. There was a great deal of shame that was there. But as I've said several times, and, and it just helps me. I don't know that it helps you, but there's a difference in my mind between humility and and humiliation. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where we're forced to be humble. 
Humiliation is a choice that we make. If I'm humiliated, it's because I feel embarrassed or I've, my pride has been wounded or something like that, which is easy to happen. It's very easy to happen. People do things to us and we do feel humiliated. But let's just just try to think about it as, okay, I need to be humble here. I didn't have anything to do with this. There's nothing I can do about it. So God, just help me to be humble. And when we are, have the opportunity, when we're presented with an opportunity to, to share the gospel and we're afraid what they'll think, and in, in fact, when we share it and, it and it comes just exactly like we thought or even worse, they really ridicule us. It's okay. It's okay. They did the same thing to Jesus. Therefore, Peter says in verse 16, if we suffer as a Christ follower, we should glorify God in that name or we should glorify him as one who acts in the name of Jesus, who shares the name of Jesus with others. Because, as verse 17 says, it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. Peter, as he has done so very many times in this letter, is using Old Testament imagery here just as God's presence was with the nation of Israel in the temple of God and just as God's presence in the Old Testament is often is often um, characterized or or associated with fire a fiery presence was with the children of Israel as they came out of out of um, out of Egypt and, and when he spoke to Moses in the bush and 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 in other places in the Old Testament just as just as his presence was represented by in the house of God by fire, so he resides in his church through the refining fire of trials and difficulties. Now, the trials that refine and purify us are referred to here as God's judgment. So this judgment is not meant to be the judgment that begins at the household of God. It's not meant to be a destructive force in our lives, but rather a corrective, a purifying and a healing balm that God uses to make us more like Jesus. This judgment may be seen in the persecution we endure, but it is it also refers to God's discipline and correction of us when we Sin, just as we discipline our children in order to build character and integrity into their lives. God brings trials in our lives and sometimes trials that come because we have sinned against him so that he would he can build us into who he wants us, wants us to be. And, and God's discipline in our lives is not pleasant. It's no, no more pleasant than going to the doctor and, and him hurting you. But it has its useful purpose in our lives and it makes us much better. In the long run, we're going to come back to this truth in just a moment. But first consider the sobering realization that if God's judgment begins with the house of God, with his own, God's judgment is visited upon his own children. And if we're saved by his mercy and grace and barely saved at that. How awful to consider a very different kind of fiery judgment that awaits those who do not belong to Jesus. And let me just say something. You do not 
do anyone nor yourself, anyone else nor yourself a favor. When you deny the existence of hell, a place that Jesus referred to over and over and over in his preaching. We're told in the Gospels, one time God loves you, John 3.16. We're told over and over and over that we want to avoid that fiery place of judgment that awaits those who do not belong to him. Please do not try to explain away the horror of God's judgment that awaits those who refuse to receive Jesus' death on the cross as payment for their sins. Sins that could never be forgiven apart from His great sacrifice on their behalf, on our behalf. We must believe that Jesus took our place in getting in the way of God's wrath and judgment that, that, that awaits all sinners. It, it, it's, it's pointed directly at us and Jesus stepped in the way on the cross. But that does us no good apart from us giving our lives to Him, repenting of our sins and trusting that His death was payment for us and just saying, my life is yours. Not that that means you'll, you'll be perfect. My goodness, we're going to talk about that in a minute. We're, we're going to sin every day until we meet Him. Jesus' death in our place makes us right with God. Nevertheless, God's judgment comes even to those who belong to Him. And when that judgment comes to us, it purifies, it refines us. And so the suffering that He's talking about here is not... Such a bad thing at all. Therefore, Peter says, when you suffer according to God's will, entrust your soul to the one who created you. He is faithful. And as you suffer, do good. Do not use your suffering as an excuse to sin. There's a purpose in your suffering. We're going to end our time this morning by acknowledging God's right and His wisdom in judging our sin. No doubt, God has revealed much in our body this year. And that's okay. Because He's calling His, His church, His people, to be pure. And that's, that's the purpose of His revealing, is to purify us and to make us into the people that He's called us to be. Aren't you glad that God doesn't let you live any way that you want to live? Aren't you glad that as you start to do something, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, no, don't do that. And you want to do it, but you say, well, okay. Maybe in the moment you just, you just submit with resignation, all right, I won't do it. Or one of your brothers or sisters in Christ says, don't do that. Don't do that. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just leave us to go the direction we would go apart from His Spirit? restraining? He restrains sin in all the world, but He especially restrains it in the lives of His children. And I'm glad that I can't get away with the sin that other people seem to be able to get away with. This morning we're going to close in prayer.
It'll be primarily a time of confession. Well, I want you to turn over to 1 John chapter 1. It's just a few pages over from 1 Peter, near the very end of your Bible, just ahead of 2 3 John, Jude, and Revelation. And um, I want us to read this first chapter. And I hadn't planned to do this, but let's do this. Let Would you read this just one verse, somebody read one verse, then somebody else read verse 2, then someone else read verse 3. Please jump in or else we'll be here a long, long time. So First John chapter 1, all 10 verses we're going to read. Let's read these together. Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to close our time in prayer. And I'm going to invite many of you, if you would, in just a moment, as many of you as will, to come to the front of the church and to kneel. We don't, we don't hardly ever do anything like this. And we're doing it this morning, not because it would be a good thing to do, but because our text calls for it. Judgment must begin at the house of God. You can stay where you are. You can kneel at your, your chair if you want, or you can just stay seated. That will be fine. But the worship team is going to come and they're going to softly sing some music and we're going to spend that time in prayer. And uh, maybe a, a moment or two after they're done uh, singing, then we're going to continue to pray individually, silently. And then if some of you would just pray corporately, pray out loud for us and, and, and ask God to forgive us and confess your sins during this time. Please open your heart and ask God to reveal your sin to you. And then confess your sins to Him. And I'm not asking for anybody to say anything openly that would be embarrassing. That's between you and the Lord. If it needs to be between you and the elders, then come to us. If you've got things that you need to clear up, come to us. That's been done this year and it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, but just confess to the Lord our sin, our lack of care to holiness and, and our Christian response the suffering and trials in our lives. And, and let's thank Him. I mean, it is the Thanksgiving season. Let's thank Him for all His goodness to us and, and, and the ways that, that He is faithful 
to reveal and to correct our sin. So if some of you would join me, that would be great.